Oh, I'm getting a call from my dead wife. Oh, and there's birds. There's birds suddenly. Could could that mean that we are on the other side of the Hulk snap? Everyone's back from the dead! Well, almost. MCU.HTML Reassembled is brought to you by the Cage Club Network for all things movies, media, TV, comics, music, and more. Check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everyone, and welcome back to MCU.html. I'm Kevo. And I'm Nico. And here we are in the third and final act of Avengers Endgame, the finale of the Infinity Saga, something we didn't even have a name for until a couple of months ago. And I think my favorite part is that there's no way in which it's the finale at all, but it's supposed to be, and it's not, but it is, but it's really not. It's just like a really big, super hardcore season finale, honestly. And really, it's like one of my favorite season finales of all time, really, truly. It's one of those season finales that takes the time to weave together multiple stories and give you a really satisfying conclusion on a lot of levels. Even though they kept throwing me more curveballs, they managed to bring me back to what I was looking for a conclusive ending on. It opened a lot more questions and ultimately sort of left me scratching my head about a few things, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So Hulk, snap. And then Hawkeye gets a call from Velma from Scooby-Doo. Jinkies. And there's birds. There's there's beautiful birds in the courtyard. So we just sort of figure, hey, the snap must have worked, which I can't remember if I've called this into question already. I'm going to call it into question a million times because it's one of those things. So the Avengers compound was just empty the day of Infinity War, I guess. And no one who was there was snapped. So, like, that has to be the case. Otherwise, there must be horrible casualties when Thanos strikes a minute later. I don't think there are. And it makes sense to evacuate the Avengers compound if, like, Infinity War is happening because that would be a huge target. So, like, I'm not super questioning it. I had had a question about one of the logistical things. My whole thing was... When Thanos snapped, it would make a lot of planes fall from the sky because half the pilots would disappear. Sure, sure. Evidently, the McFeely Russos have said that has been taken into consideration. And when Hulk snapped, he snapped, make everybody safely come back, I guess. Yeah, he says everyone home safe. I accept it. I do. Yeah, I think completely. that you make an excellent point about collateral damage from the snap. And unfortunately, those people are probably just gone, which I would love to see something to do with that. At some point, there's so many avenues to explore new stories in the MCU and fall out from previous stories, as we even just saw from Far From Home. So I would love to see something to do with that. I guess if you were on a plane and that plane isn't there, you're just now standing directly below where the plane was. So you're just hanging out in Jamaica Bay, hoping that you don't erupt from the water like a flaming bird and derail the podcast no, wires for eight episodes. Oh, I think I resented that I was unmoved by the connection to the unsnapping. Because I'm so removed from the Hawkeye parts of this film, mm. I didn't really feel overwhelmed when the cast of Freaks and Geeks called. So for me, I was more emotionally relieved, to be completely honest, that they move along the Nebula betrayal quickly. I'd had some fears that our Nebula was going to like die, like reaching her hand against the spaceship, looking out onto Earth at the end of the film, being like, they did it! They saved my sister! 
and like you know i had these nightmares that nebula was going to become a passenger victim in her own film so i feel like they managed to execute the nebula betrayal quickly enough for me not to be annoyed and that was something that really helped keep engaged along the way to the trio facing off against thanos because there's like a good 10 minutes almost between that giant explosion and when thor cap and tony start their face off against thanos and like that slows things down a lot for me it was just a lot of like loud noises for a little while so having some of the nebula trauma in there really helped and it's such a pivotal scene in so many ways i love that it's this amazing dramatic scene between these powerful women and it's really crucial in terms of understanding the narrative and the storytelling it shows us that killing 2014 nebula has no consequences against 2023 nebula that's not how time travel works in this universe and it's the first time that we really glimpse that to understand whether or not thanos can be defeated i'd been questioning how conveniently gamora changes allegiances this film and how much it bothered me and kevo pointed out for that sequence where we see quill to be simultaneous with the thanos that comes to the present this has to be when gamora is already ready to betray thanos in guardian the only difference between the gamora that we knew at the start of guardian into the galaxy and the Gamora that we saw in Endgame specifically is just the start of Guardians of the Galaxy. This is basically just an hour before we saw Gamora for the first time in that film. She was already ready to turn on Thanos. It's really interesting that it's a character reset for us for the character going forward, but it's a reset to a place where we really already knew her mostly. We're just seeing what would have happened if Gamora had never met and become a part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. At least she can now be closer with Nebula without some of the baggage they experienced in the Guardians franchise. Because, and I don't mean this in an insincere way or an insulting way against James Gunn, but I feel like in a lot of ways... Gamora shows the least growth in the course of the Guardians movies because Gamora is already the most emotionally realized at the beginning of the Guardians movies. So this gets to give a equally wise Gamora a stronger relationship with a woman she shares a lot in common with, with a whole lot less damage. This is going to change so much about their dynamic because... Nebula is now nine years older than this Gamora, and she has these experiences that Gamora doesn't. You know, she's always felt inferior to her sister in so many ways, but this forces Nebula into an older sister role. And even if Gamora is the better warrior, etc., etc., anything, any edge that Gamora could possibly have on her, it doesn't negate this experience that Nebula has over her in a lot of ways. And I wonder how that's going to affect their relationship, hopefully for the positive. We get the Nebula betrayal, the Hawkeye phone call, Hawkeye gets the gauntlet, Nebula finds him, the Nebula and Gamora scene happens, Nebula executes Nebula. It all sort of moves at a weird pace and a weird rate that takes me a little bit by surprise by hyper-compressing a lot of what we would have felt was filler material. Once they get into the action sequence itself, and it stops being the preamble of them greeting Thanos on the battlefield. Hey, buddy! It moves at a fairly steady clip. The whole final battle sequence is only about 20 minutes, and when you consider how many characters and how many sequences, like, that isn't even all of the time that it's everyone on the goddamn battlefield. When it's everyone, it's only about, like, 10 minutes. You know, I really appreciated that they opened first on this Cap, Thor, Iron Man sequence, having it be the three of them, even though Thor is the surviving member of this trio, and we know that there is the potential for more Chris Hemsworth. You know, there's just something so iconic about the three of them. No offense to the other three of the six main Avengers. There's so many echoes back to that sequence of the three of them fighting when they first met in the Avengers 2012. I love that there's the sequence of Tony opening up, like, whatever that power dish is that Thor charges as a callback to when Thor charged his iron suit over 5,000 or whatever. That was really cool. 
I charge you 5,000. And one of the things about giving the Avengers Prime Trio this battle against Thanos is it allows us to have a building momentum throughout the battle. An easy fear to have going into a movie like the Avengers Endgame, this big over-the-top finale idea is, okay, but how are they going to keep this up for an entire movie, especially a movie with a three-hour runtime? But they managed to give us a little bit of everything. And I love how we broke this down because there's this sort of thought-out, battle-removed film that is the first part of Endgame, which we talked about in our first episode. Then there's the time heist, which came in the middle part. And now we have this, the big battle, and I sort of feel that does reflect the Avengers. The first bit is a lot like a Captain America movie, where the battle is secondary to the notion of who the hero is. The second film was an Ant-Man or a Doc Strange, where there's an objective, a mission, and we gotta get somewhere. And now we're back to that central idea of an Avengers movie, a Thor movie, an Iron Man movie, this big climactic battle that's been led to this whole time, and giving us layers of it, peeling it back so that we could appreciate everyone who's lost something against Thanos and the levels of it. It was a really great way to make it feel like the characters in Infinity War weren't sacrificed for nothing, and the characters in Endgame weren't the only ones given spotlight. Everybody got their time, and obviously I'm going to knock everything off the desk and scream and start pounding and kicking things until everybody lets me talk as much as I want to talk about Cap being worthy. No, go for it. I was about to say, let's, let's dive into that, and then work our way through the battle go for it you know cat being worthy is just so significant and i think my favorite thing about cat being worthy is cap's worthiness has to be an instinctive thing he just had to be like i'm taking the damn hammer like there's no choice i'm just doing it and he had to go for it and thor's happiness for his friend being worthy because it's this great honor whereas he was like a little bit jealous in age of ultron and like concerned that steve was going to pick it up but if you pay attention during the scene you can even see that chris hemsworth isn't watching thanos For most of the time when Thanos has him pinned, he's looking over Thanos' shoulder. He's watching it happen even as the audience isn't seeing it as Cap is picking up the hammer. And it's just great. It's one of those things that you sort of feel in your heart is inevitably coming, but it doesn't make it any less amazing when it happens. I loved watching him wield the hammer. I loved watching him wield lightning. Look, it was everything I needed. And, you know, we keep talking about how did they outdo expectations? How did they outdo expectations? He didn't have the hammer for five minutes. He had the hammer for like 20 fucking minutes. That is how they outdid expectations. Yeah. The only part where the sequence slowed down for me really was between the shield being smashed and Sam calling in. That really long, slow Steve getting up. I think that might have meant more specifically to comic fans because I know that that is meant to reflect an iconic scene between Cap and Thanos. And so like I get it, but it just, it was two minutes long specifically. Like literally I'm not saying it was two minutes too long. I'm saying it was specifically two minutes long. And that's a really long time to watch Chris Evans slowly stand up. Not to get too ahead of myself, but I feel like in many ways that was Captain America's equivalent end that Iron Man gets later. Mm. They both get an epilogue send-off, but that was Captain America's big dramatic moment. That's why Cap is worthy of not just the hammer, but the shield. He, it looks like, has to use the straps to hold his arm together at one point, and he gets the fuck up anyway. I literally sit there crying, going get up Brooklyn come on and like I know he's gonna I know he's gonna but I still sound like Simba pawing at Mufasa because I need my hero to rise against this bully and he does and Cap believes he might be the only one left he has half a shield and he has a broken body but he still has 100% Cap and so he gets up and he is going to fight Thanos and his horde and his army alone. And that's when Sam calls. And that's the moment when he's rewarded. And you know what? Especially when you frame it as juxtaposed with Tony's climactic moment for that hero. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I definitely feel it a lot more. And, you know, it's funny that I point to the fact that that standing sequence is two minutes because this portal sequence is also absolutely a little over two minutes long that it's just people coming through portals. And it's kind of campy. It's kind of cheesy. I don't care. I think it was done as well as it possibly could be and is so rewarding 
for any fan of the MCU or of Marvel to see all of these heroes assemble. Because you just keep thinking this has to be that that has to be that has to be everybody. And like you just keep getting more choked up. The more you see these people, unlike when I contextualize it, they did just die. They knew that they just lost. This is, as Peter points out, like five minutes or something. And they are immediately prepared to go right back into battle because that's what heroes do. I have this mental image that as soon as Doctor Strange is unsnapped, his eyes burst open and he immediately teleports himself back to Wong and is like, and this is what we're going to do. I think one of my favorite things about this podcast is the emotional journey I've gotten to go on, not just with my husband and not just with these characters that have meant something to me my entire life, my childhood, my adulthood, but getting to go on a journey of accountability on my opinions and emotions. And that's kind of been a fascinating situation because Benedict Cumberbatch, you are my Doc Strange. This movie, you don't just become Doc Strange, you become my Doc Strange. Just this idea that Doc Strange is like, is that everybody? And Wong is like, you wanted more? And I don't know if that was just a great way to poke fun at people that were like, Avengers, better get the X-Men in that final one. Like, people that were like, I bet the X-Men are going to show up for the battle. I'm like, what drugs do you take? But I love the joke and I love the way that it leads into the reveal of Giant Man having rescued the Avengers who were trapped under the rubble. Like it was so well timed. Everything about it was so well executed. I love that it's by two directors that I am such a fan of their other work. But like random work. They directed so many episodes of this random little sitcom that is me and Nico's favorite sitcom of all time. And they are the directors of Avengers Endgame. It's so random and so bizarre and came together so well in a way that, you know, I know it doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but it works for us, certainly. Pepper Potts showing up in a rescue suit. like That mirrors the dress from Iron Man 1. Is it weird? Yes, but you know what? It's a robot suit. It's probably pretty instinctive, and I wanted Pepper there. Did you not want Pepper there? Ugh. Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow spent a decade making these characters so real and vivid and beautiful to us. So think Pepper Potts as this thread through the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this totally human who got dragged along on a more than humans ride, but said, no, I won't be anybody's victim. I'm not going to be dragged shit anywhere. And she didn't have to give up her stilettos. She just put wheels on the bottom (laughs) and she didn't have to give up fabulous dresses. She just put some iron in them. And I feel like so many of the decisions that were made in this big end sequence battle were layers of hitting every single person in the audience. You get the Black Panther tribal chant, and that drives everybody wild. And you get the A-Force moment, and you get the Guardians being truly the Guardians when Drax is going, ah, stab, 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 stab. You get the Iron Spider Pepper trio. It's You get so much that you need for this battle sequence to work. It's true. It's true. You know, I've seen memes of people pointing out Steve's growl of Avengers Assemble and people being like, did he say go? Do we go? But I want to counter that with people were probably responding to the God of Thunder and the King of Wakanda bellowing. I would go if they told me to go. I love the moment in the opening of the battle where it seems like M'Baku is trying to outrun Captain America. I don't know how choreographed that was or if it just came out beautifully, but I think it's fantastic. And he kind of does for a little bit there. They hit so many great sequences and moments it didn't leave me wanting for much you've got giant man punching one of the leviathans it's like a full minute of action from avengers assemble before we really slow down and get the hug between tony and peter when they are reunited adorable little pd parker who takes his mask off way too much in this battle to be honest that's the magic of tom holland that's what tom holland has that andrew garfield didn't have that toby mcguire didn't have whether you feel they were good spider-man or good peter parker one of the things about tom holland's spider-man is he brings a childlike levity to the role. I think Tobey Maguire brought an amazed wonderment. I think Tobey Maguire reflected every comic book fan that had waited for a Spider-Man movie to be on the screen. I like that. 
and his wide doe-eyed performance of Peter Parker reminded us of kind of the same innocence Mark Bagley's Ultimate Spider-Man has. And Andrew Garfield was the Spider-Man of its time in terms of a reflection of everything going on in superhero movies exactly then. Unfortunately, through no fault of the performers, his Spider-Man was a desperate bid. We're trying to be Marvel, but we're also trying to be DC because we're our own third thing and we are just trying to make money out of this property and it ended up feeling a little bit lost. But that wasn't about Emma Stone or Andrew Garfield or even Jamie Foxx. That was about a failure to recognize an oversaturated market that couldn't sustain a fourth universe because you left out the X-Men. <laughs> you tried so hard to blot them out of your memory. <laughs> oh, I didn't forget them. I guess you put them in fourth. So I feel like the moment that Tom Holland goes, and then Doctor Strange started doing his circle thingy? That gets everybody so excited because it's such a genuinely cute performance and it's such an honest moment of expression to have it immediately followed up by Tony Stark's hug. Peter just wanted a dad. He found a dad that was just as complicated, frustrated, and brilliant as him and he just kept feeling like a screw up and then it was just everything he needed that this man gave him a hug after everything that had happened. I have so many spider feels. Thank God we have a movie after this to explore those and we don't have to focus too much on Peter here. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, but now we have to talk about a different Peter, unfortunately. I mean, just kick him in the balls. Like, I know that they wrapped before Infinity War came out, so they can't possibly have filmed that sequence as a gift to people in response to Infinity War. Maybe they just knew people were going to be that mad at Peter Quill and want to see him smashed in the balls. It's... Funny, for all of his problems, he is a character in this universe that I love, so I do have some amount of affection for Peter Quill, and so this tugs at my heartstrings in the slightest way. And then it gives me comedy, which is nice. It gives us another moment of reinforced sisterhood between Gamora and Nebula, which is fantastic, and it gets... A lot of introducing what Gamora is to Peter Quill out of the way before Guardians, so we don't need to deal with any of that nonsense in the next movie. I do feel, though, like we are likely to face a bunch of nonsense like that in the next movie. Uh. But, regardless. Ooh, do I get to talk about Carol now? Is it Carol yet? Is it Carol yet? Are we, are we Carol no. yet? No. No, it's not Carol time. First, it's... That wasn't our only time machine. I realized yesterday, though, that... So, Ant-Man takes place in San Francisco. Scott shows up at the Avengers compound. Did he at least try calling the Avengers to let them know? what, Or, like, ask them any questions? Because he had to drive that van across the country to get to the Avengers compound. It's not a plot hole exactly, but it's certainly a speed bump or at the very least like a rumble strip where I'm like, you know? Well, here's what I'm going to pretend. He grew it really humongous really fast. No. And shrunk it really fast. So it kind of like, and then like, like. So what you're, and, and because people can't see your hand gestures, what you're trying to describe is that he gianted and shrank it so that it would slowly inch forward. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like a snail. <laughs> I can't even begin. <laughs> Do you know what? Maybe he shrunk himself and he overnighted the package to New York. <laughs> because as we pointed out last episode, he already seems to have like a bizarre number of pin particles to himself that he can do all of this. And you know what? Kevin and I were discussing it when we watched the movie. The dude spent like five years in the quantum realm when Michelle Pfeiffer spent five years in the quantum realm she became a cool writer no like 30 years but yeah she became a cool writer she was cool enough and she burned quantum magic through and through so it stands to reason that scott would be able to like i don't know something yeah like i don't need him to have like super ghost powers but like phantom of the opera e scooby-doo villainy yeah we have 
Tony being like, yo, Strange, one in 14 billion, and Strange being like, nah. I can't tell you if this is the one, because then it won't be the one. Which, you know what? Maybe it's not him being a dick. Maybe in the one, that's what he said. So he has to say it. Part of it becomes, is Strange a dick or is Strange stuck? Strange being such a stand-up guy when it comes to this prophecy he has to deliver to Tony. Benedict Cumberbatch, you won me over. I'm looking forward to exploring him in the sequel. We get a sequence that actually bizarrely really touches me, where T'Challa takes the Infinity Gauntlet from Clint and like calls him by name because it really harkens back to a moment in Civil War where Hawkeye is even trying to like keep some levity in this horrible battle and he introduces himself and T'Challa's just like, I don't care. So the fact that he knows Clint's name and is there to help him when he needs help, it, it I thought it was really cool. It's a humanizing moment for Clint. Clint yeah. has become this murderous psychosis of a man. He has not just the guilt of a lost family, he has the guilt of a lost 3.5 billion people on his chest. And I make this joke that when he answers the phone for his wife, he should be like, Hey honey, I've killed 3,632 Yakuza. Like, I want him to explore the pain of what he did in whatever project we get in the future with him, but I do think it's an amazingly humanizing thing. That's not the first time we've seen T'Challa know how to handle people who would be suffering from stressed identity due to war. I just want to point out that T'Challa isn't just a technological genius. T'Challa has psychological skill that sets him apart from other Avengers. Speaking of humanizing, we get a pretty humanizing moment out of Thanos now as he faces one of two people that actually make him afraid in this movie. Nico, you're already in tears. Do you want to comment on... <laughs> So my relationship with Wanda Maximoff is a complicated one. Scarlet Witch is really frequently used poorly. She's used as a plot device, and I don't care for that. And here, they gave her an honest do. One of the things that comes across in her performance is she looks excited that there's finally somebody that can face her. And then she has that one moment of fear, that glisten of, oh god, he knocked me down. I might get stabbed. But, like, you're in the middle of a knife fight. If someone almost stabs you, you're gonna look like, oh, I almost got stabbed. If you don't, you're just a fucking robot. And then she gets that look on her face like, uh, now I'm getting excited. I have lifted you into the air. I have bested my opponent. This isn't gonna be a tough one for me. He needs an armada to take down this little girl. So, the next time somebody wants to call Wanda a little girl, I hope she doesn't just rip apart his armor. Word up, word up. It's a great sequence and I love it. And like he starts raining fire on the battlefield for a full minute and a half and things start to get like super crazy, super chaotic. We get a really adorable moment of past the PD where they are trying to keep the spider with the infinity gauntlet safe. I love Pepper swooping in with the hang on, I've got you kid. That was a really, really, really lovely moment, even though she doesn't remember being in his movie. And I love that he keeps introducing himself to everyone all the time. He tries to introduce himself to Valkyrie and nope, her flying horse is moving too fast. And what is this kid's life even? That brings us down. Now do I get to talk about Carol? Is and, it Carol yet? And 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 then Well oh there's the hammer moment. The the kid grabs Yeah, this. that's part of it. Okay, cool, cool. And 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 then the guns stop. Oh, okay, it's Carol time. And they point upwards. So then my bright shining star, my my one true Carol, comes flying through and I'm so happy. Rocket immediately cheers for her, which I love. There's an amazing shot of, I don't remember what the name of the ship is, the Annihilator, the Decimator something. The Dark Asshole. The Gothic Castle. As it's coming down, there's a really great shot of Steve standing against it that I love, that I want like a painting of or something. Beautiful work. Amazing moment. I love the touch of Captain Marvel's theme that plays. Remind you once again, first female composer of the MCU. She lands right by the glove and poor little Petey. And then we get my favorite Captain Marvel line ever. Hey, Peter Parker, got something for me? Which is just like, she just like, she can't, Br Ugh, Brie Larson can do no wrong as Carol Danvers. She looks like she's trying not to laugh at like this clusterfuck that the Earthbound Avengers have made of their own house. And like, 
seriously, no one called me and told me this is something you were going to be doing today, and I had to find out on Twitter and then blast my ass all the way across the galaxy. You guys are lucky I follow Valkyrie. So I'm here now. Do you want to hand that over to me? And okay, the A-Force moment of this film is literally 60 seconds long. From the moment that they say she has help, it's 60 fucking seconds. Every nerd boy that has a problem with this, Cap, Thor, and Iron Man got 10 minutes to face off against Thanos by themselves. What's the big deal? I love this scene. Every time I watch it, I don't care if it's even vaguely manufactured feeling. Yum yum, I'll eat it up and I want a million more. Not even sorry. This A-Force moment delivers on the promise that Marvel made when they said, hmm, we only had one female Avenger. We'll work on it. It took me a little too long. And I think the A-Force characters are strong enough to support a movie. It kind of doesn't matter how many nerd boys cry because Captain Marvel made a billion dollars. And at the end of the day, Captain Marvel made more than Thor. Captain Marvel made more than Thor the Dark World. Captain Marvel made more than Iron Man. Captain Marvel made more than Iron Man 2. Captain Marvel made the money. So this A-Force moment, this A-Force moment, which was filmed before Captain Marvel, was made with the intention that hopefully this works. And I think we're entering an age where this A-Force moment is hopefully going to be the very least anybody can provide fans. Because I'm not looking for Captain Marvel to beat Captain America up and then use the shield to bash Thor's head in and steal the hammer and fist iron man with it that's not what i want but i want these characters to represent who they're supposed to be in terms of the broad spectrum of heroics that marvel comics is a staple of and i want to see marvel comics continue to grow with its diversity and this a-force moment was beautiful and it should have only been 10 times longer and perhaps it could have been but instead we get a nice little sequence of carol facing off against thanos which is one of the cooler fight sequences of the entire movie to be honest that headbutt where she just doesn't even flinch she looks annoyed she seriously just looks annoyed she looks like why haven't i killed you yet because as i pointed out in earlier endgame episodes i wonder what burden of responsibility she bears for thanos getting as far as he has gotten we haven't gotten any backstory there on where she has been the entire time he's been doing his thanos thing she theoretically has been around and active as captain marvel so i wonder if that could be something that we will see in her franchise, her dealing with the things she wasn't able to stop. I've actually had a thought about that. If it was so easy to get at Thanos, a lot of people would have done it. And I believe, knowing the gold people's virtual technology exists, if it was easy to get a read on where Thanos was, someone would have done it before now. I still need more answers, I still need some amount of accountability, and I need some sort of explanation for the fact that she's never mentioned and never seen as a threat. I'm not saying there can't be an explanation, but I'm saying I do kind of need one, personally. And with that, we reach the inevitable. The only person who could have sparred against Thanos for the final battle, the final moments, the climactic hero of this franchise, had to be Tony Stark Iron Man. And it is through his ingenuity that he is able to engineer Thanos' defeat. At the end of the day, the thing that saved the entire Marvel Universe was Tony Stark's armor. And his cleverness. Like, you know he just had to watch Thanos pull the Power Stone from his gauntlet and think to himself, well, fuck, why are we even going after the stupid gauntlet? And that's the moment that Strange looks at him and holds up his finger to let him know that that is their only chance. That's a little bit reading some into it, but I think it's like there. Who else is gonna go full Aladdin and just pull the stones right out of the glove and have that be the way they defeat the bad guy? Dr. Stephen Strange delivers the news that Tony Stark is not going to survive to Tony in a way that Dr. Strange could have never delivered the news to a patient. There is a humility and a humble brokenness in his face. There is bedside manner in the fields of war. And that is nothing that beginning of the film Stephen Strange could have ever given us at the beginning of Doctor Strange. And I don't know that it's something that the end of the film's Doctor Strange could have given us either. But it's something this Doctor Strange can give us. And there's this sort of beautiful sound off of a bunch of everyday geniuses all kind of saying this round of it's my turn to fall on the sword over and over again. And it just so happens that Tony's turn is the end. The snap is a really satisfying moment 
one by one, the people who should pay their respects to Tony do. Rhodey, Peter, Pepper. It is a gut-wrenching scene. I like that they didn't overpack it either. Steve wasn't there too. It wasn't, you know, those are probably the three most important people in Tony's life in a lot of ways. For as much as he has that connection with Steve Rogers, they're their own men. But like, Rhodey is the person who carried him most of his life. Pepper is the person who carried him most of his you know, adulthood and being the Tony Stark that he wanted to be and was trying to be. And Peter was the person that he was trying to be that Tony Stark for. I wish there had been any amount of words exchanged between him and Rhodey. He doesn't say anything. It's not, you know, a problem. It just would have been nice to, like, give them something. Oh, but no, that mirrors their first movie together. Because in their first movie... Don Sheena Robert... didn't say anything. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, that is touching. Thank you. Thank you for that. A few memes have pointed out that Peter says, I'm sorry, Tony, and it wasn't until the last time that we watched that I finally heard it and was like... Okay, go fuck yourself, movie. But that's fine. That's just fine. And then Pepper's goodbye. I can't. The movie graciously moves us through the pain of losing these heroes and saying goodbye to Tony at a decent speed. I don't think his goodbye video is overwrought. I don't believe the funeral slow pans too slowly. I think there are some interesting inclusions, and it's fascinating that two women are included in the funeral who had no dialogue. Mm. Managed to be in the credits, and while yes, I think it's wonderful that those women were present here, it says something about the lack of inclusion of women in Marvel movies. I don't disagree. You know, you say... Two women, but I'm going to throw a third at you because I'm pretty sure you're referring to Marissa Tomei and Michelle Pfeiffer. Because those are two women I'm criminally obsessed with, yes. I'm going to throw you one that we're growing to become more and more obsessed with as the years go on. Kobe Smulders doesn't say a damn word in this movie either. Oh, what a bummer. She should have. Oh, Maria, I'm so sorry I discounted you. You're a fascinating character. I think we probably just weren't thinking because she's immediately in the next movie after this one and i'm excited to talk about that one we've seen it we're eager we're ready to discuss it and i mean it's coming up next i like the tony recording his own eulogy basically that's so very tony part of me is frustrated that he says if you told me 10 years ago about aliens and blah 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 but that would have been like 2023 that would have been 2013 he did know about aliens he means 15 years ago it's not a big deal it's fine whatever the wedding shot as i like calling it the funeral shot that everyone was told was a wedding until the day of and then they were like oh no it's a funeral okay it's literally 90 seconds from when pepper lays down that wreath to when we get the final look at Nick Fury. It is so long, honestly, but you know what? Every time I watch it, I don't care how long it is. I wouldn't cut a second. I wouldn't speed it up. I wouldn't cut a single character. I wish Ramonda was there. I don't know if it was that Angela Bassett wasn't available or whatever. It's not the end of the world, you know? No no shame. She's a queen. Yeah, and she's a queen. She's got so much stuff going on, and there are so many characters they packed in. I would have liked a little bit more of a significant moment between Carol and Nick. They are right next to each other. The first time I saw the movie, I was pissed because I thought that they were like way further apart. But it's actually like if you're like counting from the people we see, it's Carol and then Nick. I really appreciated two amazing moments of genuine affection between adult men that we got in this. I loved Rhodey and Happy holding each other. And I loved Sam showing Bucky affection when it's the two of them and Wanda standing off together. That was really great. I'm really looking forward to Falcon and Winter Soldier. For them more than anything, I'm afraid it's going to be very Winter Soldier, the movie, in terms of theme and plot, which isn't really my jam, but these characters and their journey has been really interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing them play off of each other. I liked the inclusion of Spoofy Hair Swoop. Harley. Thank you. I like the inclusion of Harley from Iron Man 3. I think that was a really nice way to give credit to the guy who made it possible for there to be a Spider-Man. I think if it wasn't for Shane Black's work in developing a child character for Tony to connect with, the narrative through Civil War and the Spider-Man films never could have happened. So I think it was really sweet to include him. I'm glad that actor got to come back and be part of a moment that he made possible. Absolutely. A lot of people have speculated whether we're going to see more of that character again. I doubt it. I think Kevin Feige has even said as much that we're probably not going to. 
I pull for this young actor, so I wouldn't be opposed to seeing more. But if we're going to see another young Iron Man, obviously the next one that I would want to see is Ironheart. There's a really cute moment of Maria and Ross, Thunderbolt Ross, side-eyeing each other at the funeral. That's pretty funny. I like that. And again, I know a lot of people have been upset that there hasn't been more focus on Natasha. I don't know what you're thinking if you think that they aren't talking about Natasha or everyone that they lost at that repast. I think it's about more than Tony, but you know, it's his house. It's his wife's house. So they're like focusing a little bit on him and that's fine. We get a little scene between Hawkeye and Wanda where they commiserate over being one of the only characters in this film to be getting their own Disney Plus series franchise pains oh franchise pains what are we gonna do with our eight episode paychecks i think it's amazing i like that they seem to be indicating that hawkeye will be more interesting on his show and i don't mean that as an attack on jeremy renner i mean that as an attack on the material they gave the character to work with it was not through jeremy renner that the character often wound up one dimensional it was often that he had one dimension to his character and i just wish that there had been any reference to vision by name Yeah, I don't know if it's because they didn't want to give away too much of what they're going to be doing with WandaVision, so they didn't want to say too much in any direction about anything. It is a bit weird. They don't say Natasha's name in the scene, they just say her gender, so that's something. Great, you get to guess who they're talking about! Yeah, whatever. I wrote down in my notes at one point that the scene with Happy and Morgan is literally everything, and I wrote that in all caps, but the last time that we watched it, I was like, this sticks out a little bit, because it just feels like so random to give Happy this big moment, but it's almost meta-necessary in terms of giving Jon Favreau, the director who opened the MCU and was one of the people that worked so hard to get this project off the ground to give him this spotlight, even though Happy is a character that we know immediately is going to continue. It was really touching to see that, you know, it's almost like a metaphor for how much he still cares and is invested in seeing the franchise continue, even with this chapter coming to an end. So they've closed out the Iron Man chapter, so we get double Thor, then double Cap. We get Thor and that incredible scene with Valkyrie where he indicates that he believes she should become rightful ruler of Asgard. Which, yes, 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 and I love it, and it's amazing. There was a scene cut from here where Thor went in for a kiss, and she was like, um, what are you doing? I'm really glad it was cut. It would have undermined so much of their dynamic and the power of this scene. I love it. And I do believe they could still wind up with some level of romantic interaction as people seem to really love the idea of some connection there, whether it's physical or romantic. People love this idea. And I'm with it too. I'm for it. I'm glad they're letting it happen organically and not shoving it into the end of a movie. And then we get probably the funniest I think Chris Hemsworth has ever been. It's up there. It's up there. And I have to say, you know, you said we get double Thor and we get double Cap, but we also get double Quill here of more of this dynamic of Peter and Thor trying to outdo each other. And, you know, whatever Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 ends up being, I really, and I'm just going to say it, Over and over and over and over and over again. I really hope we get at least some small amount of Thor in Guardians 3 because I love the dynamic that he brings to the table. I would love to see him and Drax as some sort of Bash Brothers type duo. I don't want him to lead. I don't want him to actually spend the entire movie trying to undermine Quill. That doesn't sound fun. This scene is hilarious and the way that he like smiles sweetly at Chris Pratt and his smile falls like such great performance and energy and delivery but that would get really tired after a whole movie for sure it makes a funny 45 seconds but as guardians of the galaxy the quill cuckening complex is not the film i need to go see by james gunn i just love him and his comedy and i would love to see him interact more with these characters in whatever we're gonna see them in next it's gonna be something 
I'm pretty sure we do have confirmation that Zoe Saldana is contracted and will be in it. We don't know the full capacity. A lot of people have been like, was Gamora snapped? Like, I never thought that. I don't, maybe it's just me and maybe it's just knowing that she's under contract and we're probably going to see her. That made me assume she wasn't snapped, but I never thought that. Otherwise, Quill wouldn't have been searching for Gamora. He would have just been looking at a picture of her and being sad like that thing of Wolverine from X-Men the Animated Series. Also, speaking of people who used to look at pictures of people and look sad, we get our big goodbye Mm. to Captain America. We say goodbye to Chris Evans and his landmark performance. First and foremost, I want to say that Steve and Bucky speak for 28 seconds of this entire film. Bucky Barnes has been the major motivating factor of his story and his franchise for so goddamn long. And look, I'm not trying to be some kind of stucky shipper because like whatever, everybody's allowed to like whatever they like. And I'm not saying I needed them to make Captain America gay, but for his final moments of the film to be dancing with Peggy, it's like a full minute almost the little dance sequence i feel so cheated by this i know we're gonna get more bucky but that's not the same thing that's the hulk goodbye everybody got like these really dignified goodbyes and i kind of feel like hulk's goodbye was as a tram operator Hawkeye and Wanda got a goodbye together, and we got to see him going back to his family on the farm even, but this is, yeah, the last that we see of the Hulk before the end of Endgame is him sort of being harried at his computer station, and (laughs) that's disappointing, especially because we don't know. Are we going to get more Hulk in anything? I mentioned in, I think it was the state of the mcu episode that there are rumors about there possibly being a she-hulk series that would feature mark ruffalo as the hulk but i there's no confirmation of anything this could be the end of the hulk i that would that would suck and speaking of people who have sucky ends i am very okay with cap choosing to let himself become an old man i am very okay with cap passing the shield to falcon i love falcon immediately understanding and taking on a supportive role of sam as the new captain america he doesn't stand in his way he says no you should go talk to him and i think what i don't care for is that really the last real moment we get of captain america is old man steve and i'm gonna pretend it's sort of an allusion to earth x but it's really not and I do not like that the final moment of the Avengers franchise boils down to Cap kissing Peggy. It doesn't feel like a re- it doesn't feel like a happy ending. It feels like he's being rewarded with a woman. And there's just so much to unpack here. There have been so many meme responses to Steve. I think it was College Humor did a video of Steve reacting to different things throughout the decades horrors that he would have to silently witness and i think that ruins and invalidates any happy ending marcus and mcfeely have said that they always imagined that steve somehow went back in time and was the husband of prime timeline peggy carter and that's Still so horrifying that he would make her live out her life in secret just so they could be together. They knew each other for two years. You, for all you knew, she had a husband. And, you know, it's just there's so much. If it's a branched timeline, he is leaving a version of himself in the ice and essentially, quote unquote, stealing that version's Peggy, which is also really weird and problematic and strange to, like, condemn that universe's version of himself hashtag the whole thing is kind of icky and a weird way to leave things my best case scenario i am not kidding is that steve breaks the winter soldier out and lives throughout the 20th century as captain america openly helps avert wars helps basically create utopia in another timeline to earn that ideal life you know in my dream scenario it's peggy steve and bucky living as a polyamorous marriage why not fuck everyone and then maybe at the end of that when he's an old man he's like oh this is where you can find my body you should probably unfreeze me and now you have this new young captain america who can take my place while i go back to my timeline and this one can bang peggy's niece yes bucky yes and are like i don't even know but like that for me is mostly the best case scenario that we could possibly get that isn't incredibly ooky because to think that steve rogers is living in secret not helping people letting 
so many atrocities happen throughout the 20th century. I can't fathom that. That's not a happy ending then. It's really, 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 really not. Because it would drive him nuts. Knowing that there's nothing he could do would drive him nuts. It should. If he's the Steve Rogers that we have come to care about and root for and be this hero, he would never be able to live in secret. Or else, you know, he's not Captain America then. So I'm going to instead just have this beautiful mental image of Cap remaining forever young and traveling through time, but still some Cap coming. This is just a different universe's Cap. This is just a different <laughs> universe's Cap that comes in instead as a favor to our Cap, who stays young, traveling the universe. And then that's it. We get the beautiful sequence of every single character from the MCU, basically. Like, everyone gets... Everyone gets like three seconds at a time, basically, and then the main six Avengers all get ten seconds to themselves. I call it the High School Musical 3 senior year moment. They all only should have bowed really uncomfortably. But that is not the final bow. Not for all of them. No, I mean, it's a final bow, but at the same time, it's not. I mean, how do we even end this episode knowing that this isn't really an ending? Well, we could talk about Spider-Man. We already saw it. We're going to see it again. I liked it a lot. I thought it really did feel like a miniseries. Like, if Avengers Endgame was like a big conclusive thing, I feel like this was the Fallout miniseries. And I was really into it. I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I loved the performances. However, the twist is a little... So I do feel a little bit like there's things about Far From Home that weren't perfect, but on the whole, I liked it a lot. I still need to see it again. I'm still really bummed about the multiverse misdirect. And like I've said, it's not even that I think they won't do a multiverse in the MCU still. That's ludicrous. It's not that the movie didn't connect to Endgame significantly and wasn't integral to understanding the fallout of Endgame and to be the closing chapter of the Infinity Saga. But it wasn't in the way that I was expecting. It's a movie a lot about twists and subverting expectations, that's for sure. I appreciated the character of Peter Parker, I appreciated the cast, so even if there were things about the plot that I didn't like, when it comes to this franchise and these characters, that's really what's more important to me. And until we start talking about Spider-Man, you, you guys can check me out on Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. You can also check out some other amazing shows here on this network, like X's for Podcast, where we examine the X-Men comic book franchise, as well as some other titles that we throw in there. You can also check out our wonderful work on Now and Again, where we talk about pop music through the lens of the Now That's What I Call Music series. Kevo, where can everybody find you? You can find me being barely active on Instagram and Twitter at KevoReally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, and you can find find me being hyperactive on our Facebook page for this very show, Husbands Talking More or Less, at official HTML. You can also find all of the really cool, super inclusive and diverse superhero work that we have been producing over at KidRideComics.com. And until next time, when we take a look at a little thwip thwip, we'll see ya. Oh, I was gonna say thwip. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs>